Hello, I'm Serena Clyde, reporting for QE News. Today, tomorrow, yesterday, last week, next week, next month, last month, and now. You are listening to QE News. Thank you. In recent times, there has been a global outpouring of support, with tens of thousands of dollars being contributed to an aid organization operating in Gaza. However, this commendable act has come under scrutiny due to concerns about the transparency and potential misuse of funds. The charity in question, associated with the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network, President Nasser Mashni, has been accused of channeling money to a Gaza-based health organization allegedly linked to the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, PFLP, a designated terrorist group. Israeli officials have raised alarm bells, suggesting that the Union of Health Work Committees, UHWC, the health organization in Gaza, is merely a front for the PFLP. This claim led to the declaration of UHWC as an illegal organization in early 2020. The accusations include overcharging international donors for medical equipment, among other legitimate projects, with the remaining funds allegedly funneled to the PFLP through various money laundering schemes. The allegations have prompted investigations, bringing to light the intricate ties between the UHWC and the PFLP. These investigations, including raids on UHWC headquarters in 2021 and subsequent arrests, shed light on the organization's practices, raising concerns about the potential misuse of humanitarian funds. NGO Monitor, an Israel-based organization evaluating non-governmental entities advancing human rights, has expressed concerns about the links between the PFLP and UHWC. The organization argues that any funding supporting UHWC may violate international terror financing laws and is incompatible with human rights principles. As the allegations unfold, Questions arise about the transparency and accountability of the funds being donated to the UHWC. The ongoing investigations will play a crucial role in determining the accuracy of these claims and ensuring that aid from generous donors serves its intended humanitarian purpose. In light of these developments, the situation in Gaza takes on a less favorable view. The concerns surrounding the potential misuse of aid funds cast a shadow over the humanitarian efforts in the region. The international community must exercise caution in supporting organizations operating in conflict zones, emphasizing the need for transparency and accountability to prevent funds from inadvertently supporting illicit activities. While the global community's generosity in contributing to Gaza's humanitarian needs is commendable, the allegations of ties between the UHWC and the PFLP warrant careful consideration. As investigations continue, it is essential to uphold transparency and accountability to ensure that aid serves its intended purpose and contributes positively to the well-being of the people in Gaza. In a significant development, the state of Ohio has voted to enshrine abortion rights in its constitution through a referendum known as Issue 1. This yes-vote victory is a boost for President Joe Biden. 
especially in the context of the upcoming 2024 White House race. The referendum inserts the right for Ohio residents to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including decisions related to abortion, in the state's constitution. The celebration among abortion rights supporters was palpable, with a watch party in Columbus witnessing tears, screams, and hugs as the projected results were announced. For more, here's Daniel English. Reproductive rights also took center stage in other political arenas, such as the Kentucky governor's race, where Democratic Governor Andy Bashir, an incumbent, was projected to be re-elected. Bashir had made abortion rights a key issue in his campaign against Republican Daniel Cameron. Similarly, in Virginia, Democrats appeared poised to secure key state General Assembly seats, diminishing Republican hopes of tightening abortion restrictions. President Biden, facing challenges and criticism on various fronts, celebrated the Ohio result. He framed it as a rejection of attempts by MAGA Republican officials to impose extreme abortion bans, referring to his likely 2024 opponent, Donald Trump's slogan, Make America Great Again. Biden sees the election outcomes as a galvanizing moment for his own re-election campaign, emphasizing the power of voters over polls. The organization leading the No campaign in Ohio, Protect Women Ohio, expressed disappointment over the loss, but asserted the unity of the pro-life movement. They pledged to advocate for women and the unborn during what they described as an unthinkable time. The referendum in Ohio comes 17 months after the Supreme Court's decision to strike down the national right to abortion, leading some states to consider complete bans, even in cases of rape or incest. Ohio had previously enacted a law banning all abortions after a heartbeat is detected, typically around six weeks of gestation, triggering national outcry. The political battleground in Ohio attracted attention from activists on both sides of the reproductive rights issue, engaging in a fierce multi-million dollar campaign. This referendum and its outcome contribute to the ongoing nationwide conversation about abortion rights, with various states taking different stances on preserving or restricting these rights. In the past year, states like California, Kansas and Kentucky have seen votes either in favor of preserving abortion rights or against efforts to restrict them. In other news, a significant diplomatic gathering, top officials from the Group of Seven, G7, leading industrial democracies, convened in Tokyo to address the escalating Israel-Hamas conflict. The result of intensive discussions was a unified stance encapsulated in a comprehensive statement released on Wednesday. The G7 nations unequivocally condemned the actions of Hamas, while concurrently expressing support for Israel's right to self-defense. The complexity of the situation prompted the call for humanitarian pauses, aiming to expedite aid to civilians grappling with the dire situation in the Gaza Strip. The release statement underscored the crucial need for unimpeded humanitarian assistance encompassing essential supplies such as food, water, medical care, fuel, and shelter. 
Additionally, it emphasized the necessity of granting access to humanitarian workers who play a pivotal role in delivering aid to those in need. Crafted by U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and foreign ministers from Britain, Canada, France, Germany, Japan and Italy, the statement not only condemned Hamas, but also sought to strike a balance by addressing the urgency of aiding civilians in the besieged Palestinian enclave. The G7 ministers endorsed the idea of humanitarian pauses and corridors, viewing them as essential elements to facilitate urgently needed assistance, ensure civilian movement, and secure the release of hostages. This strategic approach, aimed at addressing the immediate crisis while navigating the delicate geopolitical intricacies surrounding the conflict. The meeting in Tokyo was not only a diplomatic effort to contain the worsening humanitarian crisis, but also an attempt to prevent deeper divisions on the Gaza issue among the G7 nations. The ministers acknowledged the gravity of the situation and the imperative for collective action, with Blinken emphasizing the strength and importance of G7 unity in these challenging times. The G7 nations are actively working to prevent the conflict from escalating further and spreading more widely. In addition to advocating for humanitarian measures, they are employing sanctions and other strategies to deny Hamas the financial means to carry out atrocities. The G7 ministers endorsed the idea of humanitarian pauses and corridors, viewing them as essential elements to facilitate urgently needed assistance, ensure civilian movement, and secure the release of hostages. This strategic approach aimed at addressing the immediate crisis while navigating the delicate geopolitical intricacies surrounding the conflict. The meeting in Tokyo was not only a diplomatic effort to contain the worsening humanitarian crisis, but also an attempt to prevent deeper divisions on the Gaza issue among the G7 nations. The ministers acknowledged the gravity of the situation and the imperative for collective action with Blinken emphasizing the strength and importance of G7 unity in these challenging times. The G7 nations are actively working to prevent the conflict from escalating further and spreading more widely. In addition to advocating for humanitarian measures, they are employing sanctions and other strategies to deny Hamas the financial means to carry out atrocities. Notably, the ministers also condemned the rise in extremist settler violence against Palestinians, deeming it unacceptable as it undermines security in the West Bank and jeopardizes the prospects for a lasting peace in the region. As the diplomatic discussions unfolded in Tokyo, reports emerged from a UN agency indicating that thousands of Palestinians in Gaza were fleeing south on foot, facing severe shortages of food and water in the north. The situation underscored the urgency of the G7's deliberations and the need for immediate humanitarian intervention. Looking beyond the immediate crisis, Blinken outlined key elements that should shape the post-war scenario. These include preventing forcible displacement of Palestinians from Gaza, ensuring Gaza is not used as a platform for terrorism or violent attacks, avoiding reoccupation of Gaza, and maintaining the territorial integrity of the region. 
The G7 ministers, amidst addressing the month-long conflict in Gaza, also grappled with a myriad of other global crises, including Russia's war in Ukraine, North Korea's nuclear and missile programs, and China's territorial disputes with its neighbors. Cooperation to combat pandemics, synthetic opioids, and the misuse of artificial intelligence were also on the agenda. In tech news, Life K. Brooks, the founder of Omegal, announced the closure of the iconic online platform in a heartfelt farewell letter. Once celebrated for its spontaneous and anonymous interactions, Omegal faced insurmountable challenges, leading to a decision that marks the end of an era in digital connectivity. Omegle, created by Leif at the age of 18, quickly gained popularity as a unique space for users to engage in unscripted conversations with strangers from around the world. The platform's success was fueled by its commitment to fostering human connections and breaking down geographical barriers. Despite its popularity, Omegle was not immune to challenges. The platform grappled with misuse, prompting Leif to implement robust moderation, combining advanced AI technology with a dedicated team of human moderators. However, the relentless battle against online crime, coupled with mounting stress and financial strain, proved too much for Omegle to endure. Leif's farewell letter serves not only as a eulogy for Omegle, but as a reflection on the broader state of the Internet. He highlights the impact of recent attacks on communication services and expresses concerns about a potential shift towards a more controlled, passive online space. In his farewell, Life urges users to consider the broader implications of the attacks on Omegle. He calls for support of organizations like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, emphasizing the importance of preserving a free and interconnected online society. As the news of Omegle's closure spreads, users express a mix of nostalgia for the platform's golden era and disappointment at its untimely demise. Many share stories of meaningful connections forged on Omegle and lament the loss of a space that celebrated the spontaneity of online interactions. Omegle's closure serves as a stark reminder of the fragility of online platforms in the face of evolving challenges. As users bid farewell to a beloved space, they confront the shifting dynamics between freedom and security in the digital age, pondering the future of online connectivity. At this time, we will read the statement put out by Leif K. Brooks on Omegle.com. Here it is. Dear Strangers, from the moment I discovered the internet at a young age, it has been a magical place to me. Growing up in a small town, relatively isolated from the larger world, it was a revelation how much more there was to discover, how many interesting people and ideas the world had to offer. As a young teenager, I couldn't just waltz onto a college campus and tell a student, let's debate moral philosophy. I couldn't walk up to a professor and say, tell me something interesting about microeconomics. But online, I was able to meet those people and have those conversations. I was also an avid Wikipedia editor. I contributed to open source software projects, and I often helped answer computer programming questions posed by people many years older than me. In short, the internet opened the door to a much larger, more diverse, 
and more vibrant world than I would have otherwise been able to experience, and enabled me to be an active participant in and contributor to that world. All of this helped me to learn and to grow into a more well-rounded person. Moreover, as a survivor of childhood rape, I was acutely aware that any time I interacted with someone in the physical world, I was risking my physical body. The internet gave me a refuge from that fear. I was under no illusion that only good people use the internet, but I knew that if I said no to someone online, they couldn't physically reach through the screen and hold a weapon to my head, or worse. I saw the miles of copper wires and fiber optic cables between me and other people as a kind of shield. One that empowered me to be less isolated than my trauma and fear would have otherwise allowed. I launched Omegle when I was 18 years old and still living with my parents. It was meant to build on the things I loved about the internet, while introducing a form of social spontaneity that I felt didn't exist elsewhere. If the internet is a manifestation of the global village, Omegle was meant to be a way of strolling down a street in that village, striking up conversations with the people you ran into along the way. The premise was rather straightforward. When you used Omegle, it would randomly place you in a chat with someone else. These chats could be as long or as short as you chose. If you didn't want to talk to a particular person, for whatever reason, you could simply end the chat and, if desired, move on to another chat with someone else. It was the idea of meeting new people distilled down to almost its platonic ideal. Building on what I saw as the intrinsic safety benefits of the internet, users were anonymous to each other by default. This made chats more self-contained and made it less likely that a malicious person would be able to track someone else down off-site after their chat ended. I didn't really know what to expect when I launched Omegle. Would anyone even care about some website that an 18-year-old kid made in his bedroom in his parents' house in Vermont with no marketing budget? But it became popular almost instantly after launch and grew organically from there, reaching millions of daily users. I believe this had something to do with meeting new people being a basic human need and with Omegle being among the best ways to fulfill that need. As the saying goes, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will beat a path to your door. Over the years, people have used Omegle to explore foreign cultures, to get advice about their lives from impartial third parties, and to help alleviate feelings of loneliness and isolation. I've even heard stories of soulmates meeting on Omegle and getting married. Those are only some of the highlights. Unfortunately, there are also lowlights. Virtually every tool can be used for good or for evil and that is especially true of communication tools due to their innate flexibility. The telephone can be used to wish your grandmother happy birthday, but it can also be used to call in a bomb threat. There can be no honest accounting of Omegle without acknowledging that some people misused it, including to commit unspeakably heinous crimes. I believe in a responsibility to be a good Samaritan and to implement reasonable measures to fight crime and other misuse. That is exactly what Omegle did. In addition to the basic safety feature of anonymity, there was a great deal of moderation behind the scenes, including state-of-the-art AI operating in concert with a wonderful team of human moderators. Omegle punch it above its weight in content moderation, and I'm proud of what we accomplished it. Omegle's moderation even had a positive impact beyond the site. Omegle worked with law enforcement agencies and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to help put evildoers in prison where they belong. There are people rotting behind bars right now, thanks in part to evidence that Omegle proactively collected against them, 
and tip the authorities off too. All that said, the fight against crime isn't one that can ever truly be won. It's a never-ending battle that must be fought and refought every day. And even if you do the very best job it is possible for you to do, you may make a sizable dent, but you won't win in any absolute sense of that word. That's heartbreaking, but it's also a basic lesson of criminology, and one that I think the vast majority of people understand on some level. Even superheroes, the fictional characters that our culture imbues with special powers as a form of wish fulfillment in the fight against crime, don't succeed at eliminating crime altogether. In recent years, it seems like the whole world has become more ornery. Maybe that has something to do with the pandemic, or with political disagreements. Whatever the reason, people have become faster to attack, and slower to recognize each other's shared humanity. One aspect of this has been a constant barrage of attacks on communication services, Omegle included, based on the behavior of a malicious subset of users. To an extent, it is reasonable to question the policies and practices of any place where crime has occurred. I have always welcomed constructive feedback, and indeed, Omegle implemented a number of improvements based on such feedback over the years. However, the recent attacks have felt anything but constructive. The only way to please these people is to stop offering the service. Sometimes they say so, explicitly and avowedly. Other times, it can be inferred from their act of setting standards that are not humanly achievable. Either way, the net result is the same. Omegle is the direct target of these attacks, but their ultimate victim is you. All of you out there who have used, or would have used, Omegle to improve your lives and the lives of others. When they say Omegle shouldn't exist, they are really saying that you shouldn't be allowed to use it, that you shouldn't be allowed to meet random new people online. That idea is anathema to the ideals I cherish, specifically to the bedrock principle of a free society that, when restrictions are imposed to prevent crime, the burden of those restrictions must not be targeted at innocent victims or potential victims of crime. Consider the idea that society ought to force women to dress modestly in order to prevent rape. One counter-argument is that rapists don't really target women based on their clothing. But a more powerful counter-argument is that, irrespective of what rapists do, women's rights should remain intact. If society robs women of their rights to bodily autonomy and self-expression based on the actions of rapists, even if it does so with the best intentions in the world, then society is practically doing the work of rapists for them. Fear can be a valuable tool, guiding us away from danger. However, fear can also be a mental cage that keeps us from all of the things that make life worth living. Individuals and families must be allowed to strike the right balance for themselves, based on their own unique circumstances and needs. A world of mandatory fear is a world ruled by fear. A dark place indeed. I've done my best to weather the attacks with the interests of Omegle's users and the broader principle in mind. If something as simple as meeting random new people is forbidden, what's next? that is far and away removed from anything that could be considered a reasonable compromise of the principle I outlined. Analogies are a limited tool, but a physical world analogy might be shutting down Central Park because crime occurs there, or perhaps more provocatively, destroying the universe because it contains evil. A healthy, free society cannot endure when we are collectively afraid of each other to this extent. Unfortunately, what is right doesn't always prevail. As much as I wish circumstances were different, the stress and expense of this fight, coupled with the existing stress and expense of operating Omegle and fighting its misuse, are simply too much.
Operating Omegal is no longer sustainable, financially nor psychologically. Frankly, I don't want to have a heart attack in my 30s. The battle for Omegal has been lost, but the war against the internet rages on. Virtually every online communication service has been subject to the same kinds of attack as Omegal. And while some of them are much larger companies with much greater resources, they all have their breaking point somewhere. I worry that, unless the tide turns soon, the internet I fell in love with may cease to exist, and in its place, we will have something closer to a souped-up version of TV, focused largely on passive consumption, with much less opportunity for active participation and genuine human connection. If that sounds like a bad idea to you, please consider donating to the Electronic Frontier Foundation, an organization that fights for your rights online. From the bottom of my heart, thank you to everyone who used Omegla for positive purposes, and to everyone who contributed to the site's success in any way. I'm so sorry I couldn't keep fighting for you. Sincerely, Leif K. Brooks Founder, Omegle.com LLC. Do you want to appear in a News Daily podcast episode? Do you have a question for us? Well, now you can ask and we'll answer. Just type in the following URL into your web browser, qel.ink slash ojknoz in all lowercase. Again, that's qel.ink slash ojknoz in all lowercase. We'll mention this again at the end of the episode. Thank you for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day.